Good morning. My name is Etchel Del Rosario. I am your moderator for this uh, ministry um, year. Over the next eight months, um, you will see each of the elders come up here uh, to share their testimony on how TBC Vision has impacted their lives personally. I thought, being the moderator, I would start first. Just a quick overview of how we've gotten to where we are today uh, with regards to our vision. Back in the fall of 2014, or summer of 2014, it goes back some time now, I was asked to develop a plan for a vision and a strategy for Thornhill. We identified three key items we needed for this vision. We did the survey, which we concluded around early 2015. Then we did a strength, weakness, opportunities, and threat analysis, otherwise known as a SWOT analysis, and as well as an industry data. In 2015, around the summertime, uh, with plenty of prayer, along with these three items that we have, we embarked on the journey of setting the vision for Thornhill with the elders. I wish I could share with you all the ups and downs and experiences that we had, but I would need a lot more time than the time this morning. Or even better, had gone on the journey with us and see how the Holy Spirit had worked uh, within our journey. Needless to say, God prevailed, and we've been blessed with TBC vision. Now comes the tough part. This is the implementation, and it's going to take a lot of years and lots of ups and downs as a congregation. We came to the realization that we can develop frameworks, processes, governance, strategic initiatives with various ministries within Thornhill, but if the vision didn't have personal impact and change in our own lives, that this would not manifest itself in the greater body. You see, change happens not in groups, but in each individual person, and it starts with the elders. If we, can, if we can't live, show how the vision can take shape in our own lives, how could it possibly transform ministries or the church? And this is how the vision has had impact in my life. Let me be open and honest with you. I'm going to share something with you that I've only shared with a handful of people, and it may come as a shock. I never, ever wanted or wished to be a moderator. <laughs> this was the last thing I ever wanted to be, a moderator, because I know God will hold me accountable and judge me more strictly. James 3, verse 1. Also, I'm probably the most inadequate, insufficient leader to lead TBC through this vision. If you recall, when I was elected as an elder back in 2012, I shared with everyone that I had the exact same opposite trait of what it would take to be a visionary. I'm nothing but a number-crunching analyst that is willing to roll up my sleeve, is what I recall saying and sharing with everybody. And most of all, I hate, and let me repeat that, I really hate speaking in public. 
If I had tighter pants on this morning, you'd see my knees shaking right now. I'm more comfortable in the back room. I'm definitely out of my comfort zone. But I also know that when I'm out of my comfort zone, that's when life begins and faith in God takes over. Because this isn't about me, what I want to do, or what I don't want to do. This is about obedience to God's calling. What is it, what is it, was it a coincidence that after working in finance role for the past 14 years, that God would open the doors for me in the IT department to help develop strategy and investment portfolio? What I had learned from this experience is, as long as you're obedient, he will take care of the rest. God is whether, sorry, God has stepped up, God has asked me to step up to be the hands and feet for the vision for Thornhill. Whether I like it or not, it isn't about me. This is all about Jesus. I have trusted him to equip us to be adequate at the task before us. I can take credit for nothing throughout this whole journey because he has provided for us. God has set the table for us, prepared the meal. He's done everything. All he's asked is that we come together to the table. And the key word here is together. You see, we each have an important part and a role to play in getting to God's vision for Thornhill. We all have talents and gifts to be able to contribute to God's kingdom. The gifts that God has given us are not for personal gain. Matthew, 12, uh, Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30, is a parable about a servant that buried his gifts and talents. Don't hide behind the excuse that I don't have any talents, any time, or I'm too old or too young or too afraid. We are one body, and each has something to contribute. 1 Corinthians 12, verse, sorry, verse um, 12 to 14, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is also with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slave or free, basically everybody, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is, made up, is not made up of one part, but many. This is your call to action. Ask yourself the following. Are you using the talents that God has given you for your own personal profit or serve others to further his kingdom? Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And if you're not using it, why not? What's preventing you from using your God-given gifts? And if you already are involved, how are you helping TBC reach God's vision for the church? 
This isn't about what TBC Vision can do for you, but what can you do for TBC Vision? I encourage you to get on board. If you don't know how, feel free to reach out to me or the many other elders and ministry leaders in this church. Can I ask, in demonstration of commitment, alignment, unity, to please stand and read TBC Vision together? TBC is a growing community where Jesus is worshipped and the gospel of his saving grace is proclaimed, where the presence of the Holy Spirit is felt and brings passionate love for God and humble. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we'd like to thank you for blessing TBC with this vision for being the one true leader of Thornhill Baptist Church. We want to thank you for the many parts that make up one body that we call TBC. We all have a part to contribute. Help us to use these gifts we have been blessed with to further your kingdom. We also want to thank you for the many leaders of this church that have committed to serving you. We pray that you would align us, unite us, Conform us, transform us to your will. We have a wonderful, bright future, so long as we focus and make it all about you. We also want to pray for Pastor Ken, that you continue to bless him and the words that he'll be sharing with us this morning. We praise you, we give thanks to you, we lift you up. This is only possible because of your passionate, unconditional love for your people. Amazing love, how can it be? My king should die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It is my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. In Christ we pray, amen. And this is how the vision has started to change and impact my life. Thank you. I'm going to ask the scripture readers to come forward. Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is taken from Colossians 1, 13 through 18. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is in the head, er, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the 
beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. You may be seated. got to turn it on. Thank you, Karen and Elijah, for reading the scripture for us today. When one is passionate about something, or if one wants to excel at something, we say that they eat, sleep, and breathe that something. For example, To do well at the Olympics a few years ago, Michael Phelps had to eat, breathe, and sleep swimming for years. If someone is fanatically interested in stocks and bonds and mutual funds, whatever, they eat, sleep, and breathe the market. Had a friend at college who ate, slept, and breathed soccer to the point they actually had a soccer ball in bed with him at night. As a church, as we've just heard, we eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus. Everything we do, from teaching our kids to giving our offering to our support of international missions, is all done with Jesus in the center. Jesus as our focus. We have intentionally decided that if anything is not about Jesus, we will not do it. Only those things that proclaim him, serve him, teach about him, will we give our resources and our energy to. We will eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus. So this is the first of a series of messages on the vision Um, TBC Vision is also on the front of your bulletin, but on the screen together, and it's going to say, let's read it together, but we just did. So, but I'll read it for us. TBC is a growing community where Jesus is worshipped and the gospel of his saving grace is proclaimed, where the presence of the Holy Spirit is felt and brings a passionate love for God and for all who come, or ever, everyone who walks through the doors. But the first thing it says about our church community is that we worship Jesus. There's a reason why that is first. It's the priority of, out of which all the others flow. And next week, I will talk about what it means to worship. But today, I want to um, focus on Jesus. Big subject, how do you focus on Jesus, apart from a 741-part sermon series? The whole Bible is about him. From Genesis 1, the first verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, more about that verse later, to the last verse, Revelation 22 and verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Try picking a text for Jesus. Okay, you can't just read the whole Bible because to stand for the reading of God's word, 
would take several weeks nonstop. And which part of the New Testament would you choose? In Matthew, he's the king. In Revelation, the conquering king. In Thessalonians, the returning king. In Mark, he is the anointed one, the Christ. In Luke, he cares for the orphans, widows, and women, all the underprivileged. <clears throat> in John, he is the Son of God and the light of the world. In Acts, he fulfills the words of the prophets. In Hebrews, the works of the prophets, especially concerning priests and sacrifices. In Romans, he is the Savior of the world. In Philippians, he is a humble servant who is exalted as Lord. And sprinkled throughout, he is a judge, a righteous one, the forgiver, the intercessor. He is one about whom God said, listen to me. He's the one who is the focus of the Holy Spirit's activity. And never mind the whole Old Testament, which Jesus said was all about him. So what text? You see the problem. I've chosen for my text Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. It gives a snapshot of Jesus. Um, it's a shot from one angle, not by no means comprehensive, but it's a good shot, and we can clearly see him. And the writer of this book, Paul, ate, slept, and breathed Jesus. And in this passage, we see, uh, we get a glimpse, just a glimpse, of why. So in this short passage, Paul makes a few statements about Jesus, and we'll look at, at them now. First, he is the king. First, he is the king. Verse 13 says, he has delivered, uh, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of his son. In the early 1800s, slaves from the southern United States escaped to freedom in the north by traveling along what was called the Underground Railway. The Underground Railway was a series of safe houses owned by those opposed to slavery. And these friends would typically not know where the next stop was to avoid the possibility of the whole railway being exposed, compromised. But a conductor would escort the slaves all the way from south to north. And thousands of slaves were freed in this fashion. And so they moved from the domain of slavery to freedom. The Bible says that we were slaves to sin, whom, having been set free from sin, had become slaves of righteousness. Notice the phrase, slaves of righteousness. We have not been freed from something, but freed to something. Or even rather, to someone. Escaped slaves from the southern states were not free to do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. They still had to abide by the laws of the nation, but they were free. And we who have been set free from the domain of slavery to sin are to remain under the authority of Jesus. It is a kingdom we are part of, after all. But in this kingdom, we experience true freedom. And Christ is king absolutely over his kingdom. 
king over circumstances, over nature, over us, and over you. Christ is your king. He is king over your time, your resources, your relationships, your stuff. And the more you turn control over to him, the greater your freedom. And we are all about Jesus because he is our king. How did God transfer us from the domain of darkness to the domain of the kingdom of his son? He did it through his son. Colossians says that in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he is king, but he is also redeemer, forgiver. Redeemer is a marketplace word, a word used in the buying and selling of slaves. To redeem someone was to buy them for the purpose of setting them free. In our case, freedom from sin to which we were slaves. But in him, we have forgiveness. Not anywhere else, but in Christ, and only in Christ, we have forgiveness from sins. See, the whole reason that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth was to procure our forgiveness, to redeem us from sin by paying paying the price of his own life to purchase our freedom to the glory of God the Father. That's why we have a cross on stage to serve as a constant reminder to us of the fact that we have freedom through the crucifixion. That is why the symbol for Christ in our mission is the cross. He died on the cross for us. The Heidelberg Catechism was a document written in the 1500s to instruct people in the Christian faith, made up of 129 questions and then answers. And the first question, question number one is, what is my only comfort in life and in death? And the answer to that question begins that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And that price was the very death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We sing amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? We are all about Jesus because he is both king and redeemer. We are also all about Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God. Or he is the exact representation of God. This does not mean just like a photograph captures an image of the one photographed. This means that everything that is true of God is also true of God the Son, Jesus Christ. As the Father is God, so the Son, Jesus, is also God. For example, when the disciple Thomas encountered Jesus after his resurrection, he said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. The book of Titus says, The glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
John chapter 1 talks about how the Word was God and the Word became flesh, Jesus. Jesus is God. He's eternal. He's divine. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is a mystery. And that's okay. Concerning who God is, there are things we don't understand but take by faith. Metaphors like the egg, shell, white, and yolk form one egg, or H2O, which occurs as ice and water and vapor, are only partially helpful. But the Son is not just the yolk, one-third of God. He is God. He's not just one way that the God reveals himself, and other times he reveals himself as Father, and other times he reveals himself as a Holy Spirit. They are distinct from each other, yet they are so intimately connected with each other that we rightly, uh, we rightly call him he and not they. But it's a mystery. But I do know that the deity of Jesus, to deny the deity of Jesus, is to deny the truth. This is where Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Islam fail. A conversation in vogue these days is around the question, is the God of Islam and the God of Christianity the same? But to get Jesus wrong is to get God wrong. And to get God wrong is to get everything wrong. We are all about Jesus because he is God. King, redeemer, divine. Jesus is also the firstborn of all creation. In the Bible, the word firstborn has less to do with birth order than with rank. The oldest son, or firstborn, had certain rights, including twice the inheritance of the other sons. So in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the right of the firstborn was inheritance of the tribe. But in both Isaac's case and Jacob's case, the secondborn inherited the rights of the firstborn. The father ranked them higher. And when Joseph brought his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, I always read Ephraim when I read that, Ephraim, to receive Jacob's blessing, he blessed Ephraim, the younger, with the blessing of the firstborn. God later said that Ephraim, not Manasseh, Ephraim, the secondborn, is my firstborn. So that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation does not mean that Jesus is the first creation of God, but that he is ranked higher than any other created thing. Nothing, nothing is greater than Jesus. The nations of the world, Jesus is greater. The staggering immensity of space, Jesus rises infinitely above. Angels and demons and the whole spiritual world, Jesus towers over them. We are all about Jesus because there is simply no one or nothing greater. And over the whole human race, Jesus is greater. He's king. He's redeemer. 
He's divine. No one is greater. But wait, there's more. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. You remember that I said earlier that the whole Bible is about Jesus, the main character ending in Revelation 22, verse 21, the last verse in the Word of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. But it begins with the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did God create? Through Jesus. It's like all the creative power of God, the Father, was channeled through God the Son, and all things sprang into being by His, the Son's, Jesus' words. God created the blueprint, and Jesus built the universe. Hebrews 1, verse 3 says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. In fact, the whole trinity was involved. The spirit of God was brooding over the waters after Jesus did his first act of creation, but before he brought order to it. Um, I get a photo emailed to me every day by Sig. Um, and this week, he sent a photo of an ice carving by Lake Louise. How many people get that, by the way? All right, just you and me. Yes. We're first on. No, no, no. This week, he sent this photo of three people paddling a canoe. I'm not sure you can see it. Three people paddling a canoe. Trust me. And it's been said that carving is easy. First, you decide what to carve, and then you cut away everything that's not part of the object. Jesus made the block of ice that was heaven and earth, and then he sculpted it, brought order to it. Let there be fish and birds and beetles and giraffes, and let us make man in our image. Jesus, the carpenter and rabbi, the man who lived just 2,000 years ago, Jesus did that. The Apostle John marveled that all things were made through him, and without him, out, without him nothing was made that has been made. But not, not only were all things created by him or through him, all things were created for him. All things. Now, what does that leave out? Are mountains created for Jesus? Are ants and daisies and galaxies? On a video I once watched about um, the study of space, there was a scientist who spent all his time looking for signs of life out there, radio waves, anything that would demonstrate that something out there beyond the earth was alive. And he said... If there's no life anywhere but on earth, that's a lot of wasted space. But what if the universe is as breathtakingly massive as it is, not to create a home for life, 
but to demonstrate the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. Can any inch of the created space be wasted? And you know what? Angels, even fallen ones, are created for Christ. Satan was created by Jesus for his own glory and purposes. And I don't know why, except that perhaps Jesus will be glorified as a gracious redeemer of sinners, too. And that means that you, too, were created for the purposes of Jesus. His purposes are good, as we said last week. His purposes will never be counter to what is good for us, but they are nevertheless His purposes. We were created for His glory. So we are all about Jesus, not because we've decided that's how it should be, or that we want it to be. We are all about Jesus because God has said that's the way it is. It's not that we ought to exist for Christ, but that we do exist for Christ. You exist in the time and space that you do because God has placed you there for the sake of the glory of Christ. You are black or tanned or white. You are among the richest people on the planet. You are part of the family that you are. You were born in 1930 or 1968 or 2015 for the purposes and the glory of Jesus Christ. He is the creator before all things, and him, in him all things hold together. And all creation has been created for Jesus. So it makes sense then, as Colossians goes on to say, that Jesus is the head of his body, the church. Ephesians says, says the same thing. Christ is the head of the church, his body. Again, he's not the head of the church because we've chosen it. My body would choose a very different head if it had a choice, but it doesn't. Christ is our head. He is Lord of the church. What he says, we will do. And at the moment, we decide not to do what he says and to exist for purposes that are other than his glory, we stop being the church. We can be religious. We can get together, get together every Sunday. But the moment that we stop being all about Jesus, we stop being the church. The head directs the feet to travel where the head decides the body should be. So overseas among the poor, bring the gospel to your neighbor, bring the word of God to those who don't have it yet. The head directs the hands to do what the head requires, an arm around the shoulder, or flipping the pages of scripture as you show Christ to people, writing a letter to a missionary, sometimes you talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the hands and feet, we are the body of Christ, and he is our head. He's the beginning before all things, again, the creator of all things. And he is the firstborn from the dead. 
not only did he give his life for us as our redeemer, but he was resurrected from death. Romans 1 says that this is why we know he is the son of God, by his resurrection from the dead. Revelation chapter 1. I, Jesus, I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I think that after 2,000 years, we tend to gloss over this fact. Jesus died and was risen. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) What? He was risen? He was dead, actually dead, and risen from the dead? Last time I checked, death was final. It was the end. The fat lady would quit warming up as she was singing. What do you mean, risen from the dead? In the Bible, several people were raised, which is itself astonishing, but that was more like resuscitation than resurrection. Death still caught up with them later, so they died twice. Not exactly enviable. But Jesus rose never to die again. Death will not catch up with him again. You might even say that he conquered death. He plants his foot on death's neck, and death lies defeated. And from there, he reaches back and pulls people through to life, one by one. One by one, they share in his resurrection never to die again. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death had the heavyweight belt for so long, but it does does so no more and never again. This afternoon, of course, is Linda's memorial service. But her death has lost its grip. She holds the hand of Jesus and lives forever, never to die again. As will we who are in Christ. Christ is the firstborn from the dead. We are also all about Jesus because, sorry, we are all about Jesus because he has delivered us, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus because he is preeminent. He just is. And to have anything else as our center is to live outside of reality, is to be deluded. And to live with him as our center is to live rightly, to live in reality, to live fully. And to live with Christ at the center is to be the church that we should be. To sleep, eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus is just right.
And so that's what Thornhill Baptist Church does and will do. Jesus first, Jesus always, and Jesus only. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, not just as our forgiver and reconciler to you, not just as a means through which we have relationship with you, but we thank you for giving him to us as our king, as our creator, as the firstborn of all creation, as our forgiver and redeemer, as the maker of us and owner of us. All these things, Lord, you gave Jesus to be all these things, and so we worship him, and we know that someday he will take us in all creation and offer them to you. But until that day, we are all about Jesus. Help us as a group. Help me. Help each of us as an individual to give our lives freely and live for his glory. To live as slaves to righteousness, slaves to Jesus, and to do it with joy. Jesus, we worship you. We think you're amazing. Thank you for all that you have done, but thank you, too, for everything that you are. We love you. We belong to you. You are our King, our Lord. And it's in your very name that we pray all things. In Jesus' name, amen.